getting that just right temperature or getting an energy efficient appliance. It's not only about making smart changes today. It's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy. Plus, you'll help protect the environment for years to come. A better world for you, your family, and your community. Get started with rebates and discover what energy efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com slash rebates. Ram Power Days is going on now with our most powerful lineup of trucks ever. Hurry in and don't just feel the power, own it. And right now, get 0% APR financing plus $3,000 total bonus cash allowance on 2022 Ram 1500 Bighorn Crew Cab models equipped with a gas-powered V6 engine. Don't miss this great offer. Visit Ram.com to find your local Ram dealer today. Financing for all qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital. Not all buyers will qualify. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery by 1031-22. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome everybody to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. Powered by Overtime Media, I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me today, once again, filling in for Zach Kelberman, is your senior draft analyst at milehighhuddle.com. He is Eric Trickle. Eric, I don't know if you got a chance to uh, eyeball this new tattoo that Philip Lindsay got. It's just this massive tat on his right peck that says undrafted, but I think that kind of pretty well speaks to where he's at mindset-wise. Like he's, he's out for 2019 and beyond to prove that last year was not a fluke. Yeah, I, def- I also like the placement because it's almost like he has a literal chip on his shoulder. I can't remember who it was, but there was a player a few years back who went undrafted and he got a chip tattooed on his shoulder. I think these kind of tattoos, I think they're actually kind of cool because it definitely it definitely speaks to them and their mindset and that, hey, we are out to prove something. We do have something to hold against the rest of the NFL. I definitely love it. And the tattoo is actually pretty sick, too. I really like it. Yeah, it's a it's a undrafted at the top and then a massive red rose for some reason i'm not sure what that red rose signifies to philip Lindsay, but yeah it's pretty cool and i imagine it took quite a long time to get done and was probably pretty painful do you have any tattoos eric i don't have any tattoos i want to get one at some point but i don't either i don't either i've considered it but have at the end of the day i've kind of dragged my feet but very cool tattoo and i think philip Lindsay, man like you know, there's something to be said about that chip. And Chris Harris Jr. has talked a lot about this over the years. You know, he's probably one of the most accomplished undrafted rookies in NFL history. And one of the things motivating him, of course, is that chip. And he knows inherently, or at least this is the way he presents it, that NFL, the NFL and front offices and scouting departments, they're constantly looking for that confirmation bias. In other words, they go, look, you went undrafted for a reason. We all missed on you. None of us really saw you coming. And so the first opportunity for you to take a step back in any way, shape, or form on a performance level, they're like fiends hoping that happens so that they can finally stand up and say, yep, see, this was the reason why we didn't have them high on our boards. And, you know, it's at the same time, undrafted rookies, former undrafted players, they have to try and push and, and achieve that much more to kind of keep uh, keep afloat in the eyes of other teammates and other players who do actually have draft pedigree. 
but it's also kind of a secret weapon, Eric. I mean, a guy like Philip Lindsay, he's five foot eight, he's 190 pounds, soaking wet, but he has something that Royce Freeman does not, for example, and that is that inner heart and fire and you know, the embarrassment, the whatever you want to call it, hum- humiliation of not going drafted, seeing all those dudes at the Combine, and Lindsey has talked about this himself, that he knows in his heart of hearts he was a much more accomplished, much more productive, much better running back. They get invited to the Combine. He doesn't. They get drafted. He doesn't. It's kind of a secret weapon, that, that fuel, that guys who actually have draft pedigree, they just don't – they can't wrap their heads around it. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, especially for a player like Lindsey who – he had so much hype going into the draft too. I mean, there was a lot of talk that he would go somewhere day three and here he is. He ends up going undrafted. He had a chance to go to another team. He decided to stick in Denver. Just, they absolutely loved him. Just a lot of players that go undrafted. A lot of them have that attitude. Even guys who don't end up being successful in the NFL, they still have that chip on their shoulder. It just becomes an issue of the talents not there. Well, with Philip Lindsay, there is no doubt that he has a talent to carry this chip for him for the re- on him for the rest of his career and be something special. What do you think it was, Eric, that that caused the Broncos, who were in constant contact with with Lindsey throughout the dra- pre-draft and draft itself, to end up passing on him and taking a guy like David Williams? Because, and this is just something I want to remind listeners, that great podcast that came out, I think it was late November from Peter King that was a very long-form interview with Philip Lindsay that kind of detailed the agony and the resentment and the anger that he, that he had during the, the draft. Lindsay said publicly on that podcast, look, the Broncos were on the phone with me throughout the draft. He said, I kind of knew because I wasn't even invited to the Combine. Obviously, <clears throat> you know, I'm not stupid. I knew I probably wasn't going to go early. But by, I figured, you know, middle round, someone's going to take a chance. I mean, the Broncos were telling me that they were. Middle rounds come, fourth, fifth round, nothing happens, and the, the phone's ringing still, and, he's, and they're saying, don't, you know, hold tight, Lindsey, hold tight. You know, we're going to take you here in the sixth or seventh round. What happens? Keyshawn Bieria, round six. Round seven rolls around. Lindsey's certain this pick's going to be him. And it's David Williams. Why do you think the Broncos, do you think they just knew that he was, there was no way he was getting drafted, so might as well? just, you know, grab someone else, kind of take a flyer on someone else because there's a good chance the homegrown boy will will sign in Denver? I think that's a big reason for it. I think that they were pretty confident that he wouldn't get drafted. I mean, size in the NFL often, sometimes as a mistake, gets so hyped up for it. Either you have the size or you don't. And Philip Lindsay, he's undersized for the typical running back position. So I think they're confident he'd go undrafted and they were – pretty confident that if he did go undrafted that they would be able to get him. So they just kind of took a flyer on a bigger back that they liked and just wanted to see what would happen. And fortunately, it turned out in the positive for the Broncos. They got lucky, let's face it, because Lindsey in that same podcast said that his phone was ringing. His, he had a phone on and his agent, and it, it was ringing immediately after the draft. His, the phones were blowing up from teams. He, he, he said there were several of course, we know for sure one of them was the Baltimore Ravens. And Lindsey was dead set against going elsewhere. He didn't want to sign with the Broncos because he felt like they had let him on and that they had betrayed him in that sense because they had told him one thing and then didn't do it. And his mother made the difference. His mother said, no, Philip, you need to stay home. And it was kind of a prescient look into the future. And it, it paid off because if you look at it, she probably didn't know necessarily like the intricacies of the Broncos running back roster and the depth chart even after the draft. 
But he was really in the perfect position in Denver to achieve what he ended up achieving because, let's face it, there was no entrenched starter. There was no C.J. Anderson to just, you know, grandfather all the touches. Philip Lindsay had a true shot. Yes, he had a, a running back that he had to battle that was a high-round pick, and then he had another seventh-rounder, and then he had a former fourth-rounder on the depth chart that he had to compete against. But if you look at it from the stars-aligning kind of perspective, like, yes, it was his hometown team. He grew up rooting for the Broncos and all that. But from just a pure football fit perspective, he landed in literally the perfect place in order for him to get the maximum opportunity as a college free agent. Yeah, he really did. And I'm glad that his mom put his foot down. He ended up with the Broncos. He was a guy that I really liked for for the Broncos. And definitely they didn't have an entrenched starter, as you mentioned. And I think that is a big reason as to why he was able to be convinced to come to Denver. Again, everything worked out for Broncos for the Broncos benefit. I'm ecstatic. Everybody should be ecstatic for it. And as long as he keeps his chip on his shoulder and able to perform, no reason not to be ecstatic. Last thing I want to say on this topic, and then we'll move on to other things for today's show, is on one hand, he goes out and he proves the, the entire league wrong, right? He, he goes to the Pro Bowl, unprecedented production for an undrafted rookie running back. But then on the other, all of the misgivings and doubts that led to him going undrafted, namely his size and durability concerns because of his size, what happens? Well, he makes it through 16 weeks, gets hurt, significant wrist injury. It wasn't just a minor injury. It was a gnarly wrist injury that required surgery, which goes to kind of, you know, vindicate in some sense, okay, not in the complete sense, but in a small sense, it vindicates some of these scouting departments who had their doubts about Lindsey as a true bona fide running back for the NFL. Do you think that's true? Do you think in that sense, the fact that he was, uh, you know, he was unable to stay healthy through the whole season, ended up on IR, do you think that hurts, you know, or, or do you think that affects the, the league-wide perspective in terms of front office scouting departments on their evaluation on Philip Lindsay coming out of the 2018 draft? I, I don't think it will because for the longest time we saw Darren Sproles tear it up in the NFL, and even during that we saw NFL front offices go away against those smaller, shiftier running backs, and when they've used them, or got them, it was always later on or after the draft. I mean, obviously there's some exceptions to it, but they tend to just value the size. And I think that Lindsay's injury and the injuries to some of these other guys that are smaller like that are just going to keep that kind of bias there. I mean, unless you're somebody that's really considered really special, I think that it's going to be hard to overcome the lack of size to that NFL front offices have. It's like the whole thing with the hand size for quarterbacks. There's a reason for it. Sometimes it's sometimes it's 100% true that that is why they have it, but there are always exceptions to the rule. So again, it's just a matter of, I don't think it'll change it. I think that the size for running backs, it size doesn't equal talent. So front offices, I mean, it's, they should be changing their mind, but I doubt they will. They're pretty stubborn. Yeah, and that speaks also to the, the – I can't remember who it was. Uh, forgive me, the Instagram account. I think it was the actual tattoo shop that did the ink on Lindsay on that undrafted tattoo. The actual you know text beneath the, the video post said something to the effect of, you know, they did they forgot to measure heart, basically. And, you know, that's one of the intangible aspects Lindsay brings to the table that simply, you know, can't be taught. You can't see it in a, in a size, you know, height, weight, speed – 
uh, measurement. You can't see it in on. Well, I guess you can see it on film, right? You can see whether or not a person has heart, but. But these guys missed it. So we'll see. We're going to talk a little bit more about Lindsey. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Broncos running back room on today's show. We're going to go through, in fact, today, and we're going to kind of uh, rebut some some uh, bold predictions from one of our uh, competition at Fansided that we had a request on Twitter for us to take a look at this article today. Five bold predictions for the Broncos in 2019. A couple of them, they just have to be lampooned. And Eric and I are going to take care of that business. But first, just make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. It is the best way for you to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. Don't forget to leave a creative review and a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're on YouTube, you guys keep doing what you're doing, liking and commenting. You guys are, are doing a great job there. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Wendy's new French toast sticks are so delicious, some are saying that they're better than their mom's breakfast. Excuse me, did you just say Wendy's new French toast sticks are better than my breakfast? Mom, is that you? Answer the question. I said some people are saying that because they're so crispy on the outside and fluffy on the inside and perfect in every way. Uh Uh-huh. And what do you think? I think it's time to tell people to choose wisely. Choose Wendy's new sweet and crispy homestyle French toast sticks. That's still not an answer. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. All right, Eric. So let's take a look at this article on fansided.com. I think it's just on their main NFL page. It's from a fella. Forgive me, I'm not familiar with him. But uh, his name is Rucker Haringey. Haringey. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. But five bold predictions for the Denver Broncos. And we'll kind of go through them in sequence sink our teeth into these a little bit. And it's not often that on the Huddle Up podcast we take time to spotlight another website's content or articles. But in this case, we are in the dead time of the NFL calendar. Let's face it, we need something to talk about. We need something to, you know, bend our football minds on. And this will do for today's podcast. And I think it'll make for a good conversation between Eric and I and a good listen for you uh, on the other end. So the first thing here, the first bold prediction is Rucker has Noah Fant leading the Denver Broncos in catches in 2019. Now, I don't think that's too far out into left field. Eric, his, his, uh, basically his, his logic behind that is that he doubts Cortland Sutton has the talent to emerge as a number one wide receiver. I disagree, I disagree on that. And that also goes without saying, we know now Joe Flacco, I mean, he leans heavily on tight ends. His last full 16-game season as a starter came in 2017. That year, he completed over 90 passes to the tight end position. So we know Fant is in for a big year, but do you think that's even, I mean, how, how much within the realm of the possible do you think it is that Noah Fant will finish 2019 as the Broncos leader in, in receptions? I don't think it's way out there, but I think that it's highly unlikely. Now, you Everybody talks about how Joe Flacco relies so heavily on the tight ends, which is true. They do pretty much average at least 50 catches a year for the most part during his career, at least going back the last 10 years. But when you're looking at leading the team and the the offensive weapons, this is why I think that it's uh, why it's possible but doubtful. 
is Denver has a lot of offensive weapons. Now, they're expecting Cortland Sutton to take a step up. He had 42 catches last year. Now, in Joe Flacco, in the last 10 years with Joe Flacco, the Baltimore Ravens have only had, for the most part, they had more, the tight ends had more catches than that 42, but they weren't much more. Only once did they see more than 70, and only twice did they, or three times did they see more than 60. Hmm. And the re- leading receiver last year for the Broncos had 70 cat over 70 catches with Emmanuel Sanders, and he got hurt and missed some time. So that's all great, but you also have to factor in the fact that Noah Fant is a rookie. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as I was able to tell, I was doing some research about this, that from what I was able to see, and I'm sure I missed some tight ends here and there, the highest tight end, rookie tight end for season catches was Evan Ingram last year with, not last year, but the 2017 rookie season right. was 64. Typically, they don't they struggle to get 40 from what I saw. Mm-hmm. And now Evan Ingram, he is pretty closely to tied to Noah Fant as a tight end and their skill set because they're more receivers. However, I think that Noah Fant brings more as a blocker. Is he the best blocker in the world? No, but he's capable and he's learning the job. That's one of the praises for him so far has been that he's been picking up the blocking side of things. So while it is possible, I don't think it's likely. I think this is his rookie year and rookie tight ends typically don't do so well. It typically typically takes a year or two before they are really able to break out. I mean, look at some of the top tight ends in the NFL. They didn't exactly tear it up their rookie year. It took them a year or two before they were able to come out. So it's, I, th- I think it's overvaluing a little bit of the Noah Fant, the athlete, and undervaluing the fact that he's a rookie tight end that still has quite a bit to learn for the NFL game and just overestimating what he's going to be able to do. I do think that he'll have a good year, but I just highly doubt that he's going to lead the yeah. team in catches. I mean, if it would have been – the bold prediction: Noah Fant will lead the Broncos in touchdowns or touchdown receptions. I that one I'd be a lot more amenable to as an idea because I think when the Broncos get inside the red area from a passing perspective, it's going to go Sutton. It's going to go Fant. Those are going to be the top two kind of tips of the spear in which Rich Gangarello and Joe Flack were going to try and distribute the ball. And it's pretty self-evident why both of them are massive athletes, tall. They got the body to to exploit the fact that you know you, you're in a restricted area in the red zone so I think if that were the case that he had predicted Noah Fant would lead the team in, in touchdowns I could be a little bit more on board with it honestly if you're looking for a bold prediction I think something that's equally bold but a lot more logical is that Deshaun Hamilton has a shot to lead the the team in receptions because we don't know exactly how Emmanuel Sanders is going to bounce back from this injury. We don't know exactly what his timetable is. As you've talked about on one of the recent podcasts, Eric, we don't know if my, he might have to start on the pup list. If so, he's going to he's going to miss some significant time. If that happens, and even if he he's ready to go week one, he's entering his year 32, his age 32 season, as Zach likes to say. And at 32 years old, he's reaching that point where NFL players, especially wide receivers, oftentimes that's where they kind of go off a cliff. But even if it's not just necessarily a talent issue or father time just you know taking its toll, but rather a, a wide receiver still struggling to return, even though he's technically cleared, even though he's healthy, quote-unquote, he's still struggling back to, to get to form, trying to forge new chemistry with a, a new quarterback, etc. 
in that type of a vacuum, I could see a guy like Deshaun Hamilton stepping in and surprising people as the number two wide receiver, the guy who's fearless going over the middle, the route runner who can find the, you know, create separation with his route running and find the soft spots in the zone and just sticky hands. Deshaun Hamilton does not drop the ball. So I wouldn't be surprised. And in fact, when I get, we get a little bit closer to training camp, I'll, I'm going to put out some bold predictions. And that's probably going to be one of them, Eric. I actually agree with both things that you said. I think that if this was more of a Noah Fant leading in touchdown catches, I still think that's bold because of Cortland Sutton. But I think it's a lot more realistic and a lot more plausible than him leading, Noah Fant leading in catches overall. And I also agree that Deshaun Hamilton, he's actually one of the guys that I've pegged to actually lead the team in catches. I think that he is that guy that can go get 80 balls compared to Corlin Sutton's like 50 to 60 and Noah Fant throwing in anywhere between 40 and 60. Right. Having a wide range game between those three because of Deshaun Hamilton's route running and his hands and how tough he is over the middle. So I agree both parts. I think that both of those I think are more realistic, more plausible. And I just think that leading the tight end, leading the team in catches doesn't happen very often. And when it does, it's definitely, it's not, it's never a rookie tight end that does it. All right, let's move on to this next bold prediction from Fansided. They have Royce Freeman leading the Denver Broncos in rushing. And basically the logic behind this one is uh, that, you know, he was drafted in the third round for a reason. The Broncos plan ultimately, this is him, this is his logic, is that Royce Freeman was going to be the bell cow. Lindsey kind of came out of nowhere, undrafted, college-free agent, breaks into the depth chart and just becomes a phenomenon. Wasn't the Broncos' plan, and thus they're going to try and kind of strong-arm Freeman into a prominent role. And that, of course, he also brings up the fact that, you know, Lindsey's size, five foot eight, 190, not built to take the pounding, etc. Now, this one wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me to see Royce Freeman lead the Broncos in rushing. But from a... And, and, you know, if you were to say he would get more touches or more carries, you know, health willing, all things being equal on the health side, I could see that. Yards-wise, he's not going to outpace Lindsey. Lindsey's going Lindsay's to have more yards by the time the season's done, health willing. I agree completely, and that's exactly what I was going to go over. As long as they both stay healthy and are able to play in every single game, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Royce Freeman has more carries. But I think that Philip Lindsay in the end will have more touches because he is more of a threat as a receiver as well and can be used lining up outside, being moved around. And I think that he will outpace Royce Freeman in rushing yards. So touches, I'll give that to Royce Freeman because he can go get those tough yards in the middle. Something that Philip Lindsay's body can't, well, it can take, but can't take a lot of because of the size because he is a little bit smaller. He's that guy, that change of pace guy that can go out, get an open space, and pick up big chunks of yards at a time. So I think that it's – this one I think is a little bit more plausible than the Noah Fant one, but I still think that it's pretty unlikely. Philip Lindsay, yeah, they, he got came undrafted. They drafted Royce Freeman in the third round, but we saw last year that there was definitely – a difference between the two, even before Royce Freeman got hurt. There was definitely a difference. Philip Lindsay was the better back, and eventually he got the top job because he was outperforming everybody. And I expect the same thing to happen this year. Yeah, and for, and for what it's worth, I think, 
you know, I'm on record for as saying this, and just based. I mean, you talked about it too. I think in your studs and duds for minicamp, but Royce Freeman has looked really good this off season, and he's fully healthy. I think he's on deck for a really strong season if he can stay healthy and uh, fight the the injury bug with all that tread that he does have on his tires. But we'll see how it shakes out. Now, this next one, Eric, this one's probably, in all honesty, this is the most realistic one to me that that the fella had that Bradley Chubb will finish with more sacks than Von Miller. And I think the reason it's more feasible, plausible, is because Chubb is going to take that next step in his development. That's going to happen. Number five overall pick, produced 12 sacks his rookie year. You know, he's going to take some kind of a step forward. The X factor is two things. One, Vic Fangio arriving and, and being a part of the equation Edge is his specialty. You Everywhere he goes, you have prolific edge production, no matter who the players are, no matter what the quality of depth is at the position. And then the other X factor is that Von Miller is still going to continue to get doubled in at times triple team, even though Chubb will continue to emerge as that threat. That's how I could see Chubb emerging with more sacks, but I still think Von Miller's the guy that's going to lead this team in sacks. Once again, I agree completely with you. I think that this is the most plausible one of all of them. The fact that, and you hit the nail on the head, it's basically the fact that Von Miller is such a star that he's going to constantly be game planned for, constantly getting those doubles and triple teams, getting chipped by tight ends, getting chipped by running backs. He's going to have to deal with all that. And basically up until Bradley Chubb really stands out and has that huge breakout moment, and don't get me wrong, he had a great rookie year, but until he comes out and just dominates a game from start to finish, which we have seen Von Miller do, he will still get attention, but he's not going to be the focus. And so I definitely think it's plausible. I think that Von Miller in the end personally will end up coming out with more because I do think that Bradley Chubb will start to demand more attention and they won't be able to double and triple Von Miller as often. And I also think the scheme is just going to help them both as well as having a interior pass rusher. I think that the, a more bolder prediction would be saying, and this is where I lean, is that basically between the two of them, 36 sacks. I think that they could be, that's going, if you split it up evenly, that's 18 apiece. This, yeah. These are two great pass rushers that are going to be able to feed off of each other, feed off of the interior pressure, and feed off the scheme. They're going to be hard to stop. So this, again, this is the one that seems the most realistic, although I do doubt it. It's entirely entirely plausible. Yep. And we know that Von Miller, you know, he's he wants to finish his career as the NFL's all-time leader in sacks, which would mean he'd have to have at least 200 and a half sacks because Bruce Smith owns the all-time record at 200. Von still has a ways to go. He's not even quite halfway there in terms of regular season sacks, and, and that's how the NFL measures it, not counting uh, sacks accumulated in the playoffs. Von's at 98, so he's got a ways to go. And he's setting his sights this year on 20 sacks. We've heard him say it before, but this is kind of the first time he's uttered that, that I really feel like it's not bold. It's not like going overboard. Like this is the time this year, the, all of the kind of stars aligning, points converging, however you want to look at it, for Von Miller to take that next step. It's one of the few things he hasn't achieved in his stalwart NFL career. Two things. He hasn't hit 20 sacks. His highest was in 2012, his second year. He had 18 and a half, which was a new franchise record. The other thing is he's never been named Defensive Player of the Year. He's He's been runner-up. He's come up just short. 
He's been a Super Bowl MVP, and that's probably more meaningful to him, obviously. But those are the only two things really left on his resume, Eric. I mean, he's, he's bound for the Hall of Fame, let's face it. But those are really the only two things left in terms of the boxes he has to check as a defensive player, unless you want to say winning the MVP award as a defensive player, which hasn't happened since Lawrence Taylor in the, in the late 80s. Yeah, I agree. I mean, those two things, I wouldn't be shocked this year. As I said, I 36 between the two of them. I mean, entirely plausible to see Von Miller get 20 of them. That's definitely what he has his, his eyes set on for this season. And as you mentioned, beating the all-time sack record. And that's basically five years of 20, 10 years of uh, basically 10 years of 10. So definitely has his work cut out for him. And I think that this adds a chip to his shoulder because it's something that he, he really does. He wants to go down as the greatest ever and getting that all time sack record will do it. And this year it'll definitely, obviously it'll help get towards that goal, but the better he does, the easier it is because he's not getting any younger. So, and then of course, Bradley Chubb, who this whole thing is about being on the opposite side is going to do nothing but help. Von Miller, especially, as I said before, if he can have that one breakout game that starts getting teams to force them to give him attention, then this year can be a crazy year for those two. I ran the numbers. This was on Saturday. And basically, Von Miller has averaged 12.25 sacks per season in order for him to get over, well, yeah, over 200. He would have to play total for 16 and a half seasons. He's entering his ninth this year. So he would need to play seven more counting this season to hit that number and stay on pace. So if he hits 20, though, this year, 20 or more, that just means that's less sacks he has to average on the back end of his career when he does start slowing down a little. Because you look at DeMarcus Ware, for example, when he came to Denver, he was an absolute beast in 2014 and 2015 even though he had some injury issues in 2015 he didn't appear to be slowing down at all 2016 though was with, was the year you finally saw father time just stick his foot in the door and say you shall go no further demarcus where and and he's he recognized it he saw that he hung it up i think uh oh i don't have it in front of me i'll, I'll put up he had 100 his career total 134 and a half i want to say let me find it real quick. I just had 138. I was right the first time. That's actually what I was thinking. 138 and a half sacks DeMarcus Ware did in 12 seasons. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Now, two more bold predictions from this fella at Fansided. Eric and I are going to lampoon. These are the two worst, to be honest with you. We're not even to the worst ones. First, we got to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Eric, on this one, I'm going to go ahead and quote the dude. Okay. His, his bold prediction, number two, is that Drew Locke will start more games than Joe Flacco in 2019. Here's the quote. 
At the moment, everyone inside the Broncos organization is adamant that Flacco will be their starting quarterback. There's no question that's what Elway and company want to happen. Unfortunately, the chances of Flacco keeping this team in playoff contention are pretty slim. If Denver gets off to a slow start, the calls for Locke to replace Flacco on the field are going to become deafening. The former Missouri star has a lot of talent, but he needs a lot of work on his technique. Having a full preseason and several weeks of regular season coaching should allow him to make tremendous strides before he's pressed into action. Anyone who believes Flacco is primed to be an effective starter for the Broncos needs to ask themselves why the Ravens let him go. Well, why did the Colts let Manny go? Let's, let's question that as well. He won a Super Bowl in Baltimore, but they were still quick to bench him in favor of a relatively raw rookie. Locke doesn't enter the NFL any less prepared than Lamar Jackson did after his Louisville career. If the Broncos manage to hang around 500, this bold prediction won't come true. Denver's brain trust will do everything they can to keep Flacco in charge for as long as possible. If this team struggles early, they won't be able to resist making a change at quarterback. Now, what are you really saying? Are you making a bold prediction or are you hedging your bold prediction by ifs and buts? Because that goes without saying, Eric, if the Broncos get out to an extremely slow start early, the cries will be deafening for Drew Locke, and it probably won't take too long for the Broncos to turn, the, you know, hand him the keys. But at bottom, just going off of what we know about Joe Flacco, what we know about how much money he's making this year, how much the Broncos are counting on him this year, the idea that Drew Locke will start more games than Joe Flacco this year, to me, is just asinine. See, I look at it this way, is no matter the struggles, no matter what, only way that Joe Flacco, I think, gets benched before week eight is it with an injury. Now, say he plays to week eight, he struggles, and he gets benched. There's no way Drew Locke can start more games because there's only eight games. And at that point, if he's getting benched, playoffs are highly unlikely. So I don't see this one as plausible at all because unless Joe Flacco gets hurt. That is the only way I see it happening. Joe Flacco gets hurt. I think that they'll give Joe Flacco at least eight games before making any kind of move, depending on how he does. And I don't think that he's going to be so bad that they decide to bench him. I don't think after eight games they're going to be two and six or maybe three and five. Because if they're at least 500 at the point, I don't see them making a change either. So I just don't see it simply because the math doesn't work out for me. And I got to admit, too, is in his comment about how why the Ravens let him go and that they why was he benched for Lamar Jackson? Well, he got benched because he got hurt. And they almost went back to him, but the offense was actually starting to, not the offense just by itself, but the whole team was actually starting to come away and win games. They were able to do more of a ball control offense, eat up time, and win games that way. But Joe Flacco, before the injury, was putting up great numbers, or at least the very least, really good numbers. He was challenging defenses at every single level of the field. His play was actually pretty good. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that they just go and look at the fact that oh hey Lamar Jackson finished the season well that happened because they started to win games which the wins and losses that's not a quarterback stat the re- reason why Ravens were losing games with Joe Flacco wasn't all entirely on him could he have been better yes but that defense that lack of running game it all had a factor into it Lamar Jackson they were able to get a running game going because he was more runner than quarterback really definitely a lot playing into it but I just think that it's just wording it the way he did. 
Just that ask Bronco fans need to ask themselves why the Ravens let him go and why were they still quick to bench him in favor of a relatively raw rookie. That just doesn't align with what actually happened. Right. Again, he wasn't benched because of play. He was benched because of injury. And they didn't want to do it. They were forced to do it because of an injury. Yeah. And let's not forget, I mean, the Broncos crossed paths with Flacco while he was still the starter last year in week three, and he laid this smack down. They, if I recall right, now this is me going off the top of my head. If I'm wrong, it's only by one or two uh, statistical points here. But if I recall right, heading into week three, the Baltimore Ravens were 12 for 12 in the red zone. They had not yet been denied a touchdown when they advanced the ball inside the 20s, and the Broncos weren't able to stop them either. So, you know, Flacco had some help. They, they had some pieces around him. They were starting to build a little momentum on the offensive side of the ball. Had he not suffered that hip injury, Flacco would not have lost his job, and he probably wouldn't be in Denver. But sometimes things happen for a reason. And his other logic here that, you know, there's a reason why the, Bronc, or the, the Ravens got rid of him, you know, there was a reason why the, the Colts got rid of Peyton Manning, you know, and far be it from me to compare Joe Flacco and Peyton Manning from a resume perspective. I mean, I get it. One was an extremely prolific Hall of Fame surefire guy for 14 seasons before he ever ended up in Denver. But one thing they have very similarly is they were both long-term entrenched starters who lost their standing with the organization due to an injury. And they both had, coming to Denver, a Super Bowl MVP award in their chest, so to speak, their trophy case. So I don't think, you know, if you look at the empirical evidence – I mean, Joe Flacco took that Lamar Jackson drafting by the Ravens as he should have, as a direct shot across the bow. You saw him playing very, very well, highly motivated, highly focused, intensity that first nine games of the year before he got hurt. And I think that it's going to be a similar story in Denver. Not only does he have Drew Locke nipping at his heels, you know, he's, he's worried about that in a sense that motivates him, but he's also pissed off, dude. He's angry that the Ravens, the team that, you know, he was the franchise guy basically for over a decade, won a Super Bowl. They dispatched him to Denver. They didn't even ask his permission. They didn't involve him in the trade. He got a phone call. Hey, here's where you're going. He was happy where he ended up, but he had nothing to do with it. So anyway, I digress a little bit here, but this one to me is just asinine. Let's move on to this last one. And it's that John Elway will leave the Broncos after 2019. And basically what he says here is that the Broncos, that Elway's gone if the Broncos don't make the playoffs in 2019. And the one thing I have to take issue with here, Eric, is that he says John Elway has been a pretty average executive, which is absolutely, again, just you don't, you're either not paying attention or you just don't know what you're talking about. Because John Elway has been one of the most prolific general managers in the history of the league in terms of how long his era, his tenure as a front office czar has been. He has, in seven seasons as an executive, just a couple of quick things on the resume. He signed or extended the contracts of 18 players who have combined for 37 Pro Bowl selections with the Denver Broncos. He's the only GM to achieve this extremely rare feat, which is, he over the last seven years, he's the only NFL GM, the only to acquire future Pro Bowl players through the NFL draft, street free agency, unrestricted free agency, and college free agency. I mean, that, to me, speaks more to his 
his acumen as a GM than just you know getting lucky with Peyton Manning. He also has the second best winning percentage, and it would probably be the best had you know he had a little bit better luck with the quarterback situation. But the Broncos posted a 71-29 overall record, which is a winning percentage of .710. During Elway's first 100 games as an executive, and that win winning percentage ranked second in the NFL during that period. So I could go on, I could go on, but there's, I mean, yeah, there was a little luck involved in landing Peyton Manning, but it also took some skill and some wherewithal. There was a reason Peyton Manning chose to come to Denver, and he's talked about it publicly more times than I can remember. A lot of that, you know, decision-making for, for Peyton Manning had to do with John Elway's persuasion, John Elway laying it out. Look, here's what we've got. Here's what we can do for you. I've been in your shoes. I'm a Hall of Fame quarterback. I know what it takes late in the career to win it all. And this is what we're going to do. And it turned out to be, it wasn't just by luck. It wasn't just by Peyton Manning's presence alone that Peyton Manning went on in four years to have arguably as prolific a four-year period almost as his first 14 years in, in Indianapolis. John Elway had a lot to do with that in terms of building the team around him, both sides of the ball. You know, he goes from being the, building the most prolific offense in NFL history in 2013, gets blown out in the Super Bowl, and completely approaches it from another angle. He goes, you know what? We're going to build a defense. Goes out, signs DeMarcus Ware, Keep Tlaib, T.J. Ward. The next year he signs Darian Stewart, has a couple of great draft picks on the defensive side of the ball along the way. Lo and behold, they go on, they win the Super Bowl with the defense as the tip of the spear. The idea that John Elway has been an average executive is, again, I hate to use the word on a, on a colleague out there, a competitor at Fansida, but it's asinine. Now, I will allow this, Eric. Here's where I can grant this guy. Elway is under some pressure, okay? He is under some pressure. These last two years particularly have been brutal. First back-to-back losing season since the 70s and all that. We get it. He's under the gun. And I don't think it's completely outside the realm of the possible that if the Broncos just completely tanked, Vic Fangio completely just bombs, Vic, uh, uh, Joe Flacco bombs, if all of the strings Elway has pulled to get this thing back on track fall flat on their face, I could see in some kind of, you know, as a, as a slim possibility, him getting fired. Stepping down, no way. And even then, getting fired, it would take literally the worst I mean, it would it would have to equal 2017 caliber Broncos, I think, for that to happen, Eric. Well, I have I have a lot of points that I want to make. You hit some of them on the head, but my biggest one is that why this one just isn't going to happen. It's not bold. It's just not going to happen. If the Broncos are such a failure, John Elway is way too stubborn to step down. He will want to sit there and fight through it and try to fix it. He's a competitor. He's competing against himself. He's competing against other teams. He's doing all this stuff. He is way too stubborn to just give up and walk away. That is not who he is. Will he get fired? That's possible. But walking away, stepping down, no way. Not happening. As for the pretty average, the average, I get the reasoning that they have missed on the quarterback position outside of Peyton Manning. I get that. I get that they've missed on multiple draft picks. But I have gone over the 2011 to the through the 2017 draft and the Denver Broncos by my measurements which is factoring in how long they spent with the team that drafted them performance injuries and pro bowls all pros all that stuff the Denver Broncos were one of the best five drafting teams i think a lot of people fans especially 
aren't going to take a step back and look at what every other team does in the draft. Now, to be fair, John Elway in that time hasn't had as many stars as other teams have had, but he has found multiple contributors on the depth that factored in as a point for a success point for the Denver Broncos in this ranking. People need to take a step back before they jump on John Elway, just about the drafting and about being a general manager in general and look at other teams. How many of these other teams have gone through multiple GMs? And yes, maybe you can sit there and make the argument that Peyton Manning helped buy some time with the Super Bowl with the Super Bowl win and then two Super Bowl appearances. You can make that argument. But John Elway has to be given credit because he played a huge role in landing Peyton Manning. You have to give him credit because he went and got TJ Ward, Akeem Talib, Emmanuel Sanders, Demarcus Ware, Darian Stewart among others, to come in and be key pieces on this Broncos team that went and won. He went there and he was part of the team that drafted some of these guys that came on to be great players for the Denver Broncos. Von Miller, Derek Wolf, Malik Jackson, Denny Trevithan, Julius Thomas. list can go on and on. But yes, he has filled out the quarterback position. That gets highlighted because the quarterback is the most important position. He's also had struggles on the offensive line with drafting. But you also have to factor in, at what point does it become an issue of the coaching staff? Not just with the development of players, but winning games, which I'll come back to here in just a second. But Denver took some risks on players. Denver took some what should have been safe picks, but due to injuries, a couple of them didn't pan out. And due to just not getting coached up or becoming the players that they could possibly be. Once they get drafted, John Elway's job is pretty much done. It then becomes the job of the coaches to develop them. He has no control over if the coaches are able to do their job and develop these players, except for getting rid of the coaches, which he has done. He has no control over Raheem Moore giving up a big touchdown play against the Baltimore Ravens, which Raheem Moore wasn't the only one to blame on that either. But he went and made moves to try and help the team after that. He has no control over John Fox starting to play safe. He has no control over Vance Joseph basically playing against himself and doing the bad coaching move and causing the Broncos to lose a game. Because over the last two years, there were, I think, like eight games that I counted that Denver could have won if they made if the coaching was just one decision different. But they just kept making stupid coaching decisions. I'm not saying John Elway is an excellent GM by any means. He has his issues, but pretty average is underselling. He has been a pretty good general manager when it comes to building the team through free agency, building the team through the draft, knowing when it's time to give up on coaches. You can sit here and you can fault him for giving Vance Joseph a second year all you want, but Vance Joseph was so highly thought of in the NFL and they thought that they saw progress to sit there and go on. Plus, there was that report that John Elway wanted to move on from Vance Joseph, but Joel has stepped in. There's so many other factors that it's not just on John Elway. I think him being a Hall of Fame quarterback, him being John Elway, is also bringing a lot more fan, I don't want to say pressure, but more negative fan comments onto him because of who it is. And just basically the fact that a lot of fans don't want to sit there and go out and look at other teams, which I don't blame them. I mean, if I liked the NBA or any other sport and I had my team, I wouldn't really care about what other teams are. 
I don't care about the sport enough to really know. Football, I care enough about. I'm sit there. I'm gonna and plus it's my job to go and figure out all this stuff with other teams and everything like that too. Yep. But sometimes you got to take a step back and look at everyone else. So I think that pretty average. I can get it if you really want to focus in on the quarterbacks, but I think if you're looking at it overall, pretty average just isn't under. It's just undercutting it. And again, going back to this bold statement, I don't see it as plausible at all. Simply again, John Elway is way too stubborn to give up on a team. Yeah. Again, fired possible, but he's not going to step down. I could see one eventuality that would lead to John Elway, quote unquote, stepping away. And that would be if the Broncos win at all. The Broncos win a second Super Bowl with John Elway at the helm as a, as a front office czar, just like he wanted to do as a player. He won and walked away as a champion. That's one of the things he, he I don't know about promised, but he wanted to do with, with Peyton Manning, presented the vision of, you know, we're going to help you get to the Super Bowl. We're going to give you the opportunity to walk away as a champion. And I'll be damned if it didn't happen, right? 18th yeah. season, Peyton goes into a Super Bowl on one leg, basically, you know, in a figurative sense. Half his brain, you know, tied behind his back, li- li- uh, li- 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 limping into the big game. And yet, they win it all. Elway was right. Manning, you know, gets vindication for the way he left Indianapolis. And Elway the same. I mean, let's not forget, in the 90s, he was known as the, you know, yeah, he's probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame. But he's a guy who can't win at all, you know? Three opportunities. And even Elway, there's an interview, if you can go and find it on YouTube, in which he's he talks about, you know, retrospectively, this is after the Broncos had won both. He had re- been retired when he made the statement. But going into that fourth Super Bowl appearance, so the, the Green Bay game, all right, Super Bowl 32, Elway, his, his family, his mother in particular, uh, was – just beside herself, she didn't even want him to go to the Super Bowl because she couldn't handle the agony of another loss. And that was kind of the psychology that was permeating the, the Elway family because of the, just the depths, the, the lows they'd been through because they're so prideful and Elway was such a great player, but he just couldn't win the big one. Finally, he does it, though. Finally, the Broncos get over the top and beat the Green Bay Packers, comes back for one more, and he's able to retire not only as a world champion, but as a back-to-back world champion. And if he were able to pull that off as a GM, now obviously maybe back-to-back in this case, you know, we're talking about a bold prediction for 2019, wouldn't exactly be back-to-back because it was 2015 that the Broncos won Super Bowl 50. But if the Broncos win it all in 2019, that's the only way, Eric, I could see John Elway saying, it's been real. Thanks, everybody. I brought four world championships to this city. Catch you on the flip-flop. Yeah. I agree, and I just want to make it clear is that the reasoning behind this, the guy's reasoning, the writer of this article, is he says that if the Denver Bron- if the Denver, if Denver doesn't make the postseason in 2019, look for Elway to graciously step aside. I agree. If maybe if they win it all, he will. But going off of his bold prediction of if they don't make the postseason, if they are such a bad team, then it's definitely a no. Yeah, and he could have kept playing too, for what it's worth. If the Broncos in a you know alternate reality had lost Super Bowl thirty two and Super Bowl thirty three, he probably would have kept playing. Like he he had sixteen years under his belt, if I'm not mistaken, when he walked away, and he was actually still in pretty good shape. Like he could have kept playing another year or two, and we we could have saw what happened. But that's why I think you're right in terms of the psychology of Elway. If the Broncos are in a shambles, 
you know, and they struggle again in 2019 or, you know, they're just hovering around 500, not able to qualify for the playoffs. It's unfinished business. He doesn't walk away from that willingly. You know, you have to, he'd have to be ripped away against his will by, in other words, be fired. And he's a, he's a team president. Let's not forget the worst case scenario I could see happening in that sense. You know, if you want to really put on the tinfoil hat and go down that, that path is Elway, the Broncos struggle in 2019, whatever it's like 2017 bad. And Elway says, you know what? I'm going to step away from being the GM. I'm going to continue to oversee football operations as the the president, as the lead executive on the football side, because he is the president. He's not a VP. He's a president of the team on the football side. I'll hire someone to come in and do GM, run the day-to-day, and just see if we can make a change and get over the hump again type deal. But even that, I think, is beyond the pill. So we'll see how it shakes out. But that's going to do it. We've ran long. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Eric, thank you, my brother, for joining me on these, these episodes, holding down the fort for Zach. I was just thinking about this, bro. We are entering, let's see, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. We're entering our seventh season together covering the Denver Broncos. Isn't it crazy how time flies? Doesn't seem like that long at all. I was actually just the other day, I was talking to, I think it was my wife about it. I was talking to somebody about it. And I was like, oh, I've only been doing this for like four or five years. And then I, afterwards, I started to really think about it. And it's like, no, it's been longer than that. It just flew by and it definitely doesn't seem as long as it has been. Yep. But it's been great. I mean, we've uh, we've built our uh, a little empire. Mile High Huddle has become a thing that I don't think either of us really f- saw coming. You know, all of our great VIP subscribers, the amount of traffic we do on the front page just from a free traffic perspective, the social media followings. And I'll tell you what, dude, Eric Trickle has played a huge role in Mile High Huddle becoming what it has been, the success we've had as a publication, you know, especially on the deep dive, you know, analytics, grades, scouting the draft, his Finding Broncos series that he does each and every year, and just all the the real analytical deep dive reputation that our publication has amassed over the years. Eric's kind of the cornerstone of that. Eric's the guy that is putting in the insane hours, doing all the work that no one else in the blogosphere is willing to do in order for us to create a product that no one else has. And it's one of those, it's, it kind of reminds me of a quote that uh, I've been listening to this podcast that uh, is, you know, it's more about just kind of like forging the right mindset, stuff like that. And basically it says something to the effect of, to escape competition, seek authenticity. This is from a guy named Naval. You can find him on Twitter, at Naval, N-A-V-A-L. Nobody, in other words, nobody can, can compete with you on being you. That's a unique aspect that you bring to the table and Eric, that's something that has benefited our website for many, many years. Your uniqueness, your work ethic, your insight, your analysis. And uh, I want to thank you, brother. Thank you. It's, uh, <laughs> it's nice to hear that. Uh, and sometimes I deal with a lot of self-doubt, especially doing this. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to have been a part of it every step of the way. Glad of the staff that we have and just glad to be part of it all. And just very thankful for it and, uh, and all the opportunities going way back when, when I was just commenting and you came along and, Hey, how about you want to write for us? <laughs> That's right. Try it out. And, uh, back then I, back then I thought that, okay, yeah, I'll do this for a year at m- most, like just something for a little bit of fun, ease up some time at the time I wasn't doing anything. Right. And then, uh, <laughs> since then I've, <laughs> it's funny to think about since then I've moved out of my parents' house, gotten married, 
had a little girl, like just done a lot of stuff. And uh, yep. every step of the way has been a joy, even though uh, my attitude, I'm sure, isn't always easy to deal with. <laughs> but uh, again, I, I'm th- so thankful to you and I'm thankful for the opportunity that you gave me all those years ago. And uh, can't I can't ever tell you how thankful I am for it. And we're not done, brother. That's a thing. We're still yeah. just getting started. This thing's taking on a life of its own, and it's you know the 2019 season is. I'm. I think we're both just looking forward to it. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at Huddle Up Pod. You can find Eric on Twitter at Eric Trickle. Zach Kelberman at Kelberman 24/7. He should be back tomorrow. I'm not certain of that, but. I think he'll be back for uh, Tuesday's episode of the pod. Myself, at Chad and Jensen. Don't forget to leave a creative reviews and five-star rating on iTunes. If you're on YouTube, keep liking, keep commenting, help us out there. For Eric Trickle, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.